Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And Bill, I never thought I would see 80% or more of Israelis agreeing on anything, having spent a couple weeks there myself. This, it, it, can this new poll be correct, that the people of Israel are overwhelmingly behind keeping the military action in Gaza going on? They are, and uh, Netanyahu has been a you know, controversial prime minister at times, though he's been a pretty successful prime minister and been in power quite a long time by Israeli standards um, with the coalition government. But no, they, they see this, uh, this Hamas, a terror group committed to the destruction of Israel, the killing of Jews, uh, controlling Gaza, and they're now seeing the consequences of that. And unfortunately, one of the consequences is these, not just the rockets, which obviously have uh, killed and wounded Israelis, and you just can't live with a constant barrage of rockets. So you see the consequence of sort of a situation where they could import uh, these rockets or import the material to make them. They also see the consequence of, unfortunately, letting Hamas build these tunnels, which go into Israel, not into occupied territories or anything like that, into Israel. And just today, what, four or five, I think, Hamas terrorists uh, tried to get through one of these tunnels to kill Israelis, and they were killed by the Israeli army as they emerged. They had good intelligence in this case. But it shows why the situation is intolerable. Uh, Israel waited to fight back to, against the rocket barrage. Uh, Netanyahu was reluctant to go in on the ground, who waited further to see whether they could figure out a way to get Hamas to disarm without having Israeli soldiers lose their lives in Gaza, a place no, no one wants to go fight on the ground. But they really, he did it in a prudent way, and in a way that I think built support for what he was doing. And, and now they're all convinced of the necessity of what they're doing. And so he does have this kind of amazingly broad support. And that's why the reaction to what uh, Secretary of State Kerry has been trying to do, and, and to some degree to President Obama as well, especially his phone call last night, has been so strong across the Israeli political spectrum. Yes, uh, uh, editorial in, in the, I don't know if in Israel, Israeli politics well enough to say left-leaning or let's just say the least militant newspaper in Israel, Haaretz. Yeah, Haaretz is, is to the le- it's the New York Times of Israel, people always say, but it's to the left, honestly, of the New York Times, if you think of sort of the spectrum. So it has been a, a bitterly anti-Netanyahu, anti-settler, anti-anti-Republican or conservative in the U.S. And so on. And two pieces within three days there by leading columnists, just saying Secretary Kerry has made a fool of himself, Secretary Kerry might be, is responsible in some ways now for uh, emboldening Hamas, perhaps, and causing the war to go longer than it might have. I mean, it would be as if, I can't even think of a good analogy, it's, it's, as I say, it's sort of as if the left wing of the New York Times were unhappy with Barack Obama and, 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 and John Kerry and, 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 and you know, you were supporting, uh, I can't even, but, it's so amazing, actually, exactly. I was talking well, to someone who lived in Israel for a while, and he's, as I am now, he was sort of flabbergasted, but so flabbergasted, he almost couldn't figure out how to, how to describe it, but it does show, and it's just sort of ham-handed, Kerry and Obama, since Obama. Well, well let me interrupt for a second, because I think there's been. a substance thing here, and I don't, I, I'd like to understand it better, is that, in essence, Kerry wanted the Israelis as part of a some kind of conclusion to the immediate hostilities to essentially recognize, hey, not only is Hamas in charge, but it's okay for people to keep sending Hamas money. It was going to elevate Hamas's standing, in other words, rewarding them for making this decision to pound Israel with rockets. Right, and with no guarantee that any of the, the rockets would go away or the tunnels would be blown up. Um, no, and it was so, uh, it would be as if I'm trying to think of this way in American, for them it was as if three or four weeks after the war in Afghanistan began, after we were attacked on 9-11, it would be as if some third country, China or Russia or something, said, hey, you know what, we've got kind of a plan here. You guys in America stopped the onslaught on the Taliban and on Al-Qaeda, and in return we'll, we've talked to the Al-Qaeda people and they may be willing to 
have a ceasefire for a while against America. I mean, the Israelis feel they are in a comparable situation to we were in then. They're fighting terrorists who have killed Israelis and are determined to kill a lot more of them. This is not now. At some point, they may want to. They will want to stop. And, of course, they're not committed to uh, removing Hamas from control of Gaza just because it can get even worse, presumably. So they have some practical constraints that they very much have in mind. So uh, it's not as if, again, they're unleashing total war, but not by any means. They're actually trying to be quite careful in their the way they're fighting. But I, I think the carrying intervention just looked so cracked by it. And then there's Egypt, which is has traditionally been the broker of these kinds of deals, which is next door to Gaza and Israel, a big country, uh, and carry undercuts them, too, and has a uh, goes off to Paris where he meets with the foreign ministers or representatives of Qatar and Turkey, both of which have just been virulently anti-Israel and pro-Hamas. I mean, I, I can't even, you know, it's so mind-boggling that people over there, it's one thing to be excessively fond of a peace process and between the Palestinian Authority and Israel to be too optimistic about what the Palestinians might be willing to do. That's its own form of delusion, but that's the sort of traditional, understandable delusion of the peace camp in Israel and of Democrats here in the U.S. and even some Republicans, you know. That's more of a traditional, you know, kind of mistake, but this is just so far off the charts that this is why 87% of Israelis are behind Netanyahu and why the most dovish newspaper in Israel Dovish columnists in a Dovish newspaper are denouncing Kerry for emboldening Hamas. You know, I don't want to say it's a mistake, but I think Senator Kerry offering the Turks his uh, yacht to use to send <laughs> stuff to Israel, that just me, I, I think that was a little off. You know, it's interesting. Eighty-seven 87%-ish of Israel supports this military action. When I do media in Europe and in New England, it's 87% against it and who just look at Israel saying, how can you commit this horrific act? And they truly believe that what Israel is doing is not just a mistake, like, you know, your tax rates are too high or, you know, this is the wrong policy for speeding, but they think it's fundamentally immoral. And how do you bridge a gulf like that? And in some ways, I think, think it's the same as the gulf we have on immigration, where some people simply say, look, you have to have the rules. There is no substitute for having some sense of rules. And other people going, having any rules makes you an immoral person. How dare you deport anyone except for murderers and rapists? And I, once again, I don't see how you bridge gaps that start with, you disagree with me, you're immoral. No, you're right. I think on immigration, what's been striking to me the last two, three, four weeks is, look, there's, just as with the peace process, Israel-Palestine, where the border should be, all those kinds of questions, there are reasonable disagreements on, on policy, and there's a kind of reasonable political spectrum. But on immigration, I don't think it's quite like supporting Hamas, obviously, but the degree to which the left has just decided, basically, you can't do anything to anyone who shows up at the American border except let them in, I guess, especially if he's a minor, but even if he's not such a minor or if he's an adult accompanying a minor, and kind of regardless of whether it's they're part of a criminal gang or not, and regardless almost of where they come from, apparently, I mean, it seems like the left would just, if there were a million people from Central America or Latin America or anywhere else in the world, it seems like the left's view is you've got to let them in, uh, maybe pretend to have a hearing six months from now, but basically you can't do anything like send them back. Uh, and that is a little astonishing, and I guess and it just shows a total lack of belief that there's anything to defending a country's borders, to having a rational process where some people, where people apply and, and get in line, a kind of either incredibly naive belief in, so no child can be held responsible for anything, or using that as a kind of cynical, rhetorical uh, way of, of defending uh, just the flood of immigrants coming into the country. It is it is a little astonishing. And I was just talking to Yuval Levin, actually, who, as you know, writes for the Weekly Standard a lot, and he commented to me that um, this this possible 
you know, used by Obama, press prosecutorial discretion that people are talking about now to let four or five million Americans, uh, four or five million immigrants or illegal immigrants now in America, in effect, stay in America indefinitely. I mean, that's an act of executive uh, abuse of executive discretion in peacetime, sort of almost unlike anything we've ever seen. I mean, it's on a scale, you know, where there was huge debate in Congress what to do with these people. There are legitimate views on all sides. They're arguing it out. And the president just says, you know what, I'm letting five billion people stay, giving them, I suggest he plans to give them work permits even. Um, it's really, it is actually shocking. Well, some of us have watched uh, liberals like George Will attempting to fill the Bill Crystal chair on Fox News. And uh, I thought it was interesting, his comment over the weekend about there's no reason why we can't assimilate these 57,000 unaccompanied minor illegal immigrants. That's only 20, I think it was, per county, if he did the math right. And that's a good point, but you, that point brings up the, the failure, and this is where the moral issue arises, when you turn and ask a George Will or a uh, President Obama or Nancy Pelosi, okay, we take this 57,000, what about the next 57,000? Yeah. And the next, and there is no limiting principle, none, because, and I've interviewed representatives from United We, uh, 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 United We Dream and uh, uh, the uh, La Raza and other uh, uh, groups advocating amnesty, and I ask, I always ask the same question, Bill. Will you ever support, ever, deporting someone simply for being in the United States illegally? And the answer uniformly is no. Not from like extremists, whatever, you know, people out on the fringes, but from the mainstream amnesty organizations. We will never accept deporting anyone ever as a method of immigration enforcement. And that's the trap that everyone from George Will to, you know, Barack Obama falls into. I didn't watch George on, on Fox News Sunday or whatever, Central Report, whatever, wherever he made this argument. But no, I agree totally with you. It's such a kind of, it's, this is a one-shot deal, totally extraordinary. Look, it would be true, incidentally, if, when they were the Vietnamese, if it were like that, when they were the Vietnamese boat people, when they were Cambodian refugees, it was a horrible thing. They were genuine refugees from political persecution, threatened with death in their homeland. They showed up here or they showed up elsewhere in Asia, in this case, on other, you know, in other countries. And we took them in and we took in several hundred thousand. But obviously we took them in because it was an amazing, extraordinary circumstance. They were genuinely fleeing their lives. Uh, some of them had worked with us. And in any case, it wasn't the precedent for anything. You know, it was, it was uh, thank God, you only lose a war like that once every, hopefully, you know, two generations or three generations. And you take in refugees uh, again, who are fleeing a horrible, tyrannical, bloodthirsty government. This is nothing like that situation. This is just opening the gates. You know, Obama, in effect, opened the gates with his amnesty in 2012. Predictably, tens of thousands of people showed up. If these people are let in and, in effect, amnesty, and that sounds like that's what George is calling for, of course there'll be tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands more. And incidentally, as you say, what is the moral principle for them saying no to them? You know, it's really crazy almost. Well, I mean, you can't have a border if you can't, invite people who are here illegally to go back across it. And if you start off with the premise, and this is the premise of the mainstream amnesty movement, it is immoral to deport people, not one more is the chant that they give, then you can't have a border. You can't. It's impossible. If the premise is anyone who can somehow sneak past your immediate, you know, fence line gets to stay. It's almost like a game show. You know, just come beat the fence. And if you can beat the fence, you get to stay. No no other country does that. France, Germany, Chad, they all say, oh, your paperwork isn't right. You've stayed as long as we allowed you to legally. You're going to have to go now. And President Obama's new plan, by the way, Bill, includes people who overstayed their visas, 
who came well, to the agreement we, and then stayed. Yeah, we have you know programs. That I think most of which are probably pretty good to let a lot of kids come study here in high school, especially obviously in college and various technical schools. And some, you know, but it's, of course, for a certain amount of time where they come for a vacation or they come for a temporary job or one-year internship at the Weekly Standard or something, and then they have to go back. And, of course, you can't just let people overstay visas and the whole notion of any immigration policy collapses. And really, the whole notion of the rule of law collapses. And I think the media has gotten very cynical. You know, the conservatives appeal to the rule of law. That's just a talk. It's, just talk. it's, just, it's as if the radical uh, legal realists uh, uh, you know, sort of permeated not just from the not just not from the, from the law schools and into the mass media now and everyone scoffs at the notion that maybe we should try to uphold the rule of law but it is kind of important for a liberal constitutional democracy and what obama threatens to do i think will undercut it even more than he already has and i do think the immigration issue for that reason is about much much more than immigration i've really been as i think i said to you last time maybe radicalized on this issue and it really is about whether it matters when citizens deliberate when congress deliberates and passes this set of laws rather than that set of laws we've had major debates over immigration policy in our history some of them have probably come out in ways that you and i might like some of them not so much maybe but you know and the laws have been changed as a result of congressional action uh... there's now there have been major debates in recent years about changing the current laws again and instead, we just either let the president change the laws unilaterally or just don't enforce any laws, in which case uh, God knows what kind of future we have. Well, we're wrapping up on our time, Bill, but I did want to give you the opportunity, if you wanted to now, in the spirit of Jonathan Gruber, repair any speakos that you've committed in previous podcasts. You know, the, yeah, I've committed so many of them, I don't even want to think about <laughs> this. You know, they just they come with the territory. I mean, it, but, but on the other hand, I mean, it is fantastic, the Gruber thing, and... and I'm struck by how widely that's sort of gotten around, and I do think it exposes the degree to which, again, you can have a policy debate about Obamacare, but the degree to which they have just been willing to shamelessly, you know, ram through the law, whatever you know, as, as whatever promises they, they they wanted to make, they made, and then just from by executive action or by reinterpretation or by making arguments that contradict arguments they made two or three years before, try to sustain the law in court and also, of course, change it as it goes forward. I mean. Again, this is really why Obamacare is about more than Obamacare. Obamacare is about the rule of law, and immigration is about more than immigration. It, too, is about the rule of law. Absolutely. So I promise you I'm going to keep a tape of this, and we will find Spicos in the future, which I don't know about you, Bill, but when I was a kid, when my mom brought home a big box of Spicos for breakfast, it was my favorite cereal. I loved it. He's Bill Crystal and Michael Graham. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. Uh, stay tuned to weeklystandard.com.